Father, we thank you that before he went to the cross for us, at the Last Supper and Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prayed that we might become one. Not only those that were there present with him at the Last Supper, but also those who would believe upon his name in the future, including us, that we would become one, that we would be unified, God. And Lord, we know it grieves your heart. We know it breaks your heart, the disunity that is sometimes between churches. God, the, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with having a, a denomination or a denominational name, but that people sometimes put that above the name Christian. Sometimes they elevate that as if their group is the only group, God, and, and we know that that breaks your heart because you prayed that your church all over this world would be one. And so, Father, we pray that we would be a church that wants to be unified with other churches. Really, God, we one church, one blood-bought church by Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you truly would make us one with other movements, with other local bodies of Christ. And then, Father, within our congregation, I pray that you would make us one. Satan loves discord, he loves disharmony. God, he loves factions and he loves cliques and he loves all that sort of thing. And so God, I pray that within this family, you would erase that. God, that when we offend each other and we're bound to offend each other, because we're human beings, God, that there would be forgiveness and there would be love and there would be restoration and there would be grace. God, make us that kind of people. Lord, as we talk today about the generations that are within your church, Father, I pray that we would learn something, God, but you would also maybe help us even laugh at ourselves a little bit, but at the same time, God, you would bring us closer together and we would truly become one in you. No age differences, no ethnic or race differences, no socioeconomic differences, God, that all that stuff would fade in the bright light of who Jesus is. We ask that we would see that today, God. I thank you for the unity that's within this church. Father, I thank you that we don't have a lot of splinters or problems or factions, God, but we pray that you would keep us from that and you would make us even more unified. Lord, we love you and we praise you. You are great. You are holy. You are love. You are grace. You are mercy. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You're ever-present. And yet you condescend yourself, God, to know us and to live and dwell inside of us. And we thank you so much that that happened through Jesus and what he did on the cross. Thank you for the work that he did. Thank you for the time that he spent on this earth as a human being among us, God. And we thank you that one day we're going to be re reunited with him. And we're going to see him face to face. And you, Father, your name is going to be glorified. Your name is glorified in this earth. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray everything that we prayed this morning. And Rushwood said together, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here on this last school starts back. I'm going to move around, guys. And if I need another mic, throw me one. We'll, we'll be good. But, uh, yeah, last for most of everybody anyway. Last Sunday before school starts back, some of us, our kids do homeschool, and so they start a little bit later, but they take a little bit less breaks than 
uh, maybe the public school kids, but please come out tonight. Pastor Jason mentioned it. Please come out. If you don't have a school that you're connected with, a student that attends somewhere, maybe a, a son, daughter, grandchild, niece, nephew, friend, whatever, go to any school that you want in Ashburn, Randolph County, and they should be covered. But if you don't have a school that you're going to be part of tonight, please come to Donnelly Laughlin Elementary. That's the school that we sponsor, and at 7 o'clock, we're going to be praying together. They've put out the word to the staff that that's available if the staff wants to come out there and pray. And so uh, we'd love for you to be part of that. Thank you guys also, those of you who participated in Love Life yesterday. It was our week again, and you guys showed up really well. We had a strong, strong Rushwood presence there yesterday. And uh, they let me go off script a little bit and just kind of talk about some historical things that I think tie into strongly the Love Life movement and what is going on through Love Life. But thank you guys for doing that. The really, the, you can do this every week through November, but the next big date is going to be, at least in my eyes, the next big date is going to be September 15th, and that is going to be the Youth Walk for Love Life. In Charlotte, they had 1,200 youth show up last year. They're looking for 2,000 to show up in Greensboro to do this walk on September 15th, and they want them to bring their families along. So uh, we're trading out. Awesome. And so if you want to be part of this, if you're not in the youth category, but you're in the young at heart category, you're welcome to come on September 15th. Pastor Reggie, as some of you may know him from Greensboro, an amazing pastor. He's going to be leading that day. He's one of the anchor pastors. You won't uh, regret it and say so we'll give you more information as we go along I think there's already a sign-up sheet in the back if there's not there's going to be one because we do a sign-up sheet for everything around here but anyway we'd love for you to sign up love for you to be part of the next love life walk also I've been trying to give you good news every week and I want to give you good news and also kind of in the form of a of a prayer request something maybe that we don't always think of a person that we might not always think of but somebody that has requested that our church and other churches pray for them. Uh, Thursday morning, I was invited along with many other pastors to be part of a roundtable discussion uh, with Congressman Mark Walker. He is the congressman of this district, and the topic was immigration. And Congressman Walker, I'd never met him before. I knew of him, but I'd never met him. And man, he, he used to be a pastor in Greensboro. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, and I'm certainly not trying to make an endorsement or anything like that this morning. But this guy, I believe, is a very genuine man of God. I believe he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, lives his life to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of what he talked about was from a Christian standpoint. He even said to us as we had this discussion, when there have been problems in our nation's history, it has been the pastors who have risen to the occasion and have stood in the gap and have helped solve many of those problems. You think back through the, the Civil Rights Movement, you think back to the Civil War, you think back to the Revolutionary War, pastors had a big part of that. And he said, that's why I want to get you guys in this room and hear your heart on this subject. And we had a great discussion. But one of the things Congressman Walker said to us was, that he feels like in dealing in Washington, D.C. and being there away from his family sometimes as he goes and serves there, he said, I feel like there it is spiritual warfare, which was amazing to hear one of our politicians talk about spiritual warfare, but he said, I go there for 11 weeks, I serve, and he said, I come back physically drained, spiritually drained, mentally drained. He said, it's just, it takes a lot out of me. He said, I do believe Satan has a stronghold in that city that we're having to come against. And so he just expounded on that to us. 
But the key thing and why I wanted to share this with you is he asked that congregations would pray for him. And so I'm going to commit to pray for him when I pray, uh, do my quiet time in, on, in the mornings. I'm going to commit to pray for him by name. I'm going to pray for Congressman Walker by name that God might bless him, that he might give him wisdom. He is obviously a man. He's also fallible in, in, in making decisions as we all would be. But he is a man, I really believe, who is trying to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and serve it in the, him in the political arena. And so I'm going to ask if you would to commit to pray for him. And maybe not every day, but as often as you can think about it, pray for this man who served as a pastor and now he's serving as a congressman and he wants to serve Jesus Christ. Pray that he would make inroads. Pray that good things would happen in our nation's capital and in our nation. Blessed is the nation who fears the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that's what we want to see in this nation. So can you commit to pray for him? I told him I would talk to our congregation about that. Will you commit to pray for Congressman Walker? And uh, again, no endorsement, nothing like that. Just let's pray for him. And we're commanded to do that anyway. We're commanded to pray and be thankful for our leaders. Well, today we finish up our series called Rooted. How many of you have been blessed by at least one sermon in this series? I, I hope that, that something in this has spoken to you. Great portion of the book of Ephesians. Last week we talked about three of the virtues that Paul mentions in the book of 1 Corinthians, specifically chapter 13, where he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Well, last week we talked about faith and love, and we talked about it in the context of a cross, and we talked about it in the context of communion and taking the Lord's Supper. But that leaves one more to cover, and that's hope. Hope is so important. I've heard people say before that we can live for a certain amount of time without water. We can live for a certain amount of time without food as human beings, but we can't go one single second without hope. We have to have hope. It's indispensable. It's necessary. And today I want to bring you a message on hope for all generations. And let me just preface this by saying it's going to be a little different than the sermons we've been doing lately. It's probably going to be a little different than probably any sermon I've ever done. But I find that variety is the spice of life. And so if you don't like this sermon and you don't like the direction it takes, we'll be doing something different next week. Come back and try it all over again. Um, but I believe there is a great word for us that God has brought hope and has hope for all generations for those who love him. Let's read Paul's prayer one more time, and, and I hope maybe you've internalized it. We've read it every single week of this series, and we're, I'm going to read through it one more time. I'll be nice to you this morning and let you stay nice and comfortable and seated, and I'm going to read this to you, but make sure you pay attention to the words one more time as we go through this and let them sink into your heart. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. God's word says this, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How many of you want to have the fullness of God this morning? 
I pray that we all do. I pray that we don't want just a little of him. I pray that we want all of him. I pray that we want more of him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verses 20 and 21, the last paragraph of that, the last portion of that prayer. Let me read that to you one more time. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul never uses the word hope, but I hope when you read that last paragraph, when you hear that last paragraph read, I hope that you feel hope. You're supposed to feel hope from that paragraph. You're supposed to feel that there's something more, that there's something out there God's going to do, that, that this world is not hopeless. That it's not, there, there's, a, there's a psychological uh, word out there called nihilism or nihilistic, which basically means nothing matters anyway. And they tell us that most of the people who, who commit school shootings or other, other mass shootings and things like that, they get to a point in their life where they fall into this nihilistic trap of believing that nothing matters anyway. It doesn't matter. It's all nothing in the end, so why don't I go ahead and end it? And some decide I'll take a bunch of people with me as I end it. That's that nihilism that we're always, we always have to be careful not to fall into that mindset. But hope is the opposite of that. Hope says that everything has meaning, that in the end, God is not going to lose a bit of it, that God is going to use everything that we do. Even if we offer a cup of water in Jesus' name, God will not let that return void. Something good is going to happen from that cup of water. It's hope. It's that God is there. I don't know how you have hope without God, by the way. Uh, you know, if, if you're watching out there and you're an atheist and you'd like to come and you'd like to explain to me how you have hope, ultimate hope, outside of God, please come and do that because I don't see any outside of there actually being a God who loves us, who knows us, who is working on our behalf. Outside of that, I don't know how you get hope. I don't know how you have hope. So Paul never uses the word hope, but you definitely feel it from this scripture. Some things this section tells us. Number one, it tells us God is going to do way more than we could ask or think. I don't serve a stingy God. I don't know about you. God is not sitting there with all these blessings and just saying, you know what? I ain't giving you guys none of this. That's not the attitude God has. God wants better things for us than we want for ourselves. The problem is too many times we get self in the way and he can't work through that. But he's wanting to bless us. He's wanting to do way more than we could ask or think. Know that. Remember that. God has a plan for your life in this world, and he has a plan for you in eternity. God has something special for you, and that should give you hope. The second thing this scripture teaches us is that God is going to be so good to us that we're going to want to give him glory for all generations. That's why I do not understand when Christians don't want to worship, when Christians don't want to praise his name, when we seem like we're bored on Sunday morning. Yeah, and we just act like we're not, you know, bored to death. I love to glorify God because he's done something good in me and he's going to continue to do something good in me. I love to praise his name. I don't get it when we don't want to glorify him. He has been so good to us and he's going to be so good to us that we should want to shout his name from the rooftops. 
We should want to declare to the world that there is a king in heaven and his name is Jesus Christ. We should let everybody know about it. God wants to be good to us. Number three, the third thing this teaches us is that God has a blessing for all generations of those who love him. You know, I think every generation thinks they're the last one to get it. And the next generation is just going to fall off the face of the earth. And, man, there's just, they're just so terrible and so awful and they're so godless. And there's just no way God's going to work in the next generation. And then God shows up and works in the next generation. Sometimes to a larger extent, sometimes to a smaller extent, sometimes to more of an average extent, and sometimes to a more excellent extent. But God always works through every generation. There's hope in every single generation of those who love the Lord. He works with all of us. So we take all that together, that God's going to be good to us, that he wants to do more than we could ask or think, that he has a blessing for all generations, and that should give us hope. Church, that should give us hope. We should not be a people without hope. I had somebody say to me many years ago, you cannot be a Christian and be a pessimist. It's a great way to look at things. You cannot be a Christian and be a pessimist because with God, there's always hope. With Jesus Christ, there's always hope hope and there's hope to all generations let's define a term here before we go any further what is a generation we say the word but we don't maybe always know exactly what it means the first definition of a generation is a group of people who are born and living about the same time I have a generation you have a generation that surrounds you you don't do this life by yourself we walk through this life with other people and the ones right around us they are our generation from a biblical standpoint, a generation is people born within 30 or 40 years of each other. So when the Bible talks about a generation, a lot of times it's 30 or 40 years. I think the upper limits are like 70 years can be a generation. But it's people basically grouped together in time. Currently, church, there are six living American generations. Six American generations that are still with us. And as your pastor, the rest of the time today, I'd like to give you a word that I believe applies to your generation and then give you a verse that I believe speaks a needed truth to your generation. Admittedly, this is probably a little bit different than our normal sermon that I, I would preach. Uh, and it, it might be actually according to your generation whether you like this sermon or not. But we're going to go through this, and I believe God has a word. I believe God has something. And I'm not saying that I have the insight on that and that this is not fallible because it does come from a human being but this is what I'm hearing this is what I believe God would say to the living generations that are in our nation so let's begin with the oldest living generation the oldest living generation is called the GI generation 1901 to 1926 and this would be an enduring image of this generation this is what this generation was all about also known as the World War II generation or the greatest generation. And I would not quibble with that. I would not argue against that. They survived the Great Depression. They won the Great World War. They built the greatest nation in human history. I get so tired of people downgrading America. We have our problems here. We have our problems here, and there's a lot that we need to do better, and there's a lot that we need to solve. But this is a nation built on Judeo-Christian principles that has given opportunity to millions and millions of people. And we've been able to live in freedom, and we've been able to worship the way that we want. And sometimes that's under attack. And the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. 
The price of freedom is we have to maintain it. We have to fight against those forces that would want to remove our freedoms and take our freedom from us. But I believe this generation built the greatest nation in human history, and we should do everything within our power to preserve it. When this generation married, they married for life. Divorce is not what they did in this generation. That was greatly looked down upon. You worked it out. You made your way through. When you said, I do, till death do us part, it meant, I do, until death do us part. A great generation. They had children after marriage, not before. That was one of the ways that they did things, praise God. They knew life before radio, airplanes, and television, which might be a better thing sometimes. They did things because they were the right thing to do. Don't you love that? Somebody who does something because it's the right thing to do. Not because it, it is a benefit to them or it's the most expedient, because it's the right thing to do. They were excellent team players. They were loyal to family, work, community, and faith. Do you know now the average stay that people have in a church family is about four years? The average American spends four years in a church, and then they move on, and they try to be a consumer at the next church. Um, these people were loyal to everything, family, work, community, and faith. I'd like to ask this morning, and this is going to be our pattern this morning, do we have anyone here today who is from the greatest generation? Is there anyone here who was born between 1901 and 1926? If you, are, if you fit that category, would you please stand this morning? Anyone born between 1901 and 1926? And you guys already have it. The word that we give to this generation is thank you. Nothing else you could say. Thank you for what you did. We enjoy the blessings of liberty and freedom largely because of their sacrifice. And so I think the verse for th this generation would be Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I think that's the verse. I think that's the word for that generation. That generation set us up. That generation did amazing things for our nation, for our faith. And we can say nothing but thank you for what you've done for us. After the GI generation came a, a, a generation called the Silent Generation, 1927 to 1945. They grew up in the happiness of post-World War, uh, post War II world when America was the only superpower in the world. They had peace. They had jobs. They had cars. They had rock and roll. And they had television. They're called the silent generation because they focused on work and family and tended to see speaking out on social issues as dangerous or risky. Oftentimes, this, fan, this generation just kept their nose down and went forward and didn't do a whole lot of civic work or community work or that sort of thing. Um, they were more work-minded. Most women were stay-at-home moms, not a bad thing. Their teachers' biggest complaints were about chewing gum and passing notes. 
They were avid readers, especially of newspapers. My dad falls in this generation, and this is so true. The first thing my dad does every day is he goes and gets a newspaper. If it hasn't been delivered yet, he knows the first place they put them out in Ashburn, and he'll go buy one early and bring it home and read it, I think, cover to cover. He knows everything that's going on through the newspaper. They believed in common values, and they believed in absolute truth. That's good because there is absolute truth. There are certain things that are true for all of us. Wherever we are, they're not situational. They are true. And so they had that going for them. They were disciplined. They were self-sacrificing. And they were cautious. They are the richest, most free-spending retirees ever. If you're from this generation, you were born between 1927 and 1945, would you please stand? Round of applause for this generation. may be seated. Here's what I would say to this generation, the word that I think would be good. Speak out of your strength. You guys inherited such wonderful things from the greatest generation. They were taught into you. They were breathed into you. And you have such wonderful character. It's a shame this generation has been called the silent generation because they have so much good left to say. And so I would say speak out of your, your strength. Younger generations still need your strength and support. And so we would say, please continue to speak. Now, this generation is strong. If they come against you, you have problems. But if they support you, amazing things happen. I've seen that in this church. I've seen that in other churches. And so we would ask this generation, speak out of your strength. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 through 4, the first part of that verse 4, says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. We need your strength. Speak to a silent generation. The next generation is the baby boomers. Oh my goodness. 1946 to 1964. These folks were born as families came back together or after, after World War II. Also known as the me generation or the boomers. They were the hippies of the 60s and 70s, and they were the yuppies of the 1980s. And I want you to understand, we need to know this before I go any deeper, because I'm going to bust on boomers a little bit. The Randolph County baby boomer was very different than the national baby boomer. Okay, there were big portions of your generation that took that generation down a path you would not have gone. Our baby boomers were much more like the silent generation or the greatest generation than their national peers, but unfortunately, you all get lumped together. So just having said that, before we move on, this is the generation where moms began to work outside of the home. Parents focused more on work than their children. They were sexual revolutionaries, free love, the pill, and abortion. Divorce became tolerable and common in this generation. They were the largest generation, 77 million people in their generation. Also, the wealthiest generation that ever lived, built much upon the, boomer, uh, the, the, the greatest generation and the silent generation and their work ethic. Often called, these were not my words, this is just what I found online, self-righteous and self-centered. If you are a baby boomer, you might not want to stand after all that, but if you're a baby boomer, would you please stand and let's honor our baby boomers because they're different than the rest. 
Thank you, baby boomers. You may be seated. Here's, my, here's the word that I think God would say to the boomers. Redeem the legacy. Your peers nationally messed up a lot of things in this nation. A lot of the movements that came out of the 60s and 70s were not good movements for our nation. And like I said, you kind of get lumped in with the rest. But you're still here and you still have time to redeem the legacy and take us in a different direction and speak out of your strength. I read commentators online that said the baby boomers were the worst generation ever. I don't think that the baby boomers are all bad. I just believe that the bad ones spoke out louder than the good ones. And so it is time for those of you who are good, godly men and women from that generation, now you need to make a comeback and you need to speak louder than the bad ones. You need to redeem the legacy. The baby boomers are so big, such a big group, so powerful, so affluent, have so many good things going for them, they could still save the world. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, and this, my mom is a baby boomer, and this is one of her absolute favorite verses. I heard it a million times growing up. From everyone whom much has been given, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Baby boomers, you are a blessed generation. Continue to work out of that strength. Continue to turn around that legacy and speak the truth. We need people from Randolph County, baby boomers, and other good places around the country to drown out the noise of some of the bad ones and help the generations that have followed. You can do that even now. Next generation, Generation X, 1965 to 1980, my generation. Talking about my generation, anyway. Uh, also known as the lost generation. You know why we're the lost generation? Because the baby boomers were our parents. But anyway, latchkey kids. Latchkey kids. Parents were at work. They, raised, they were raised by themselves and by television screens, which is probably never a good thing. Our generation is very individualistic. We want to save our community, not save the world. We average seven different career changes in our lifetimes. We don't stay one place very long. Our school problems were mostly about drugs. Our generation was late to marry and late to have kids. Our generation has high divorce rates, but our generation wishes for stable home lives. Our generation is not very impressed by titles or power, and I fit right into that category. They're not very loyal and they're not very committed. Not a good thing. Don't really believe in universal values. You'll hear somebody from my generation say, well, that's true for me. Might not be true for them, but that's true for me, or that might be true for you, and we don't see the universal absolutes that previous generations saw. We have never been and we never will be the largest generation in U.S. history. Part of that is because a third of our, gener our generation w was lost to abortion before they even got here. And so our generation will never be the largest generation in America. If you're a Gen Xer like me, would you stand up so we can see who you are? All right, my people, my people, give them a round of applause. Thank you, Gen Xers. Here's my word to you. I would say you need to get above your raisin. You know the, 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 the saying in the South, don't get above your raisin? I want to reverse that. Get above your raisin. A lot of you, your parents, focus more on work, more on prosperity, more on making money than they focused on you and they focused on family. 
we still have time to reverse that. We still have time to turn that trend around and focus more on our families. And we, a lot of us have that desire. We want to see family become priority again. So get above your raising in that. A lot of you guys saw that, that church was not important maybe growing up. And that you're here right now means that you're doing something different than maybe the way that you were raised. So praise God for that. A lot of things that we might need to reverse. And we'll have our own problems and we'll do our own things wrong. But Generation X, I think we're still, we're a more powerful generation than we'll ever get credit for. Even though we're called the lost generation and even though the boomers and the millennials get all the press, I think we have a lot to offer and we need to offer it. Don't repeat the mistakes of those who went before you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, Knowing you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. Don't have to follow in the ways of your forefathers. You don't have to follow in the way that our culture has gone. And the fact that you're here today means that you're doing something different than that. Oh, my goodness, again, millennials, millennials. Hey, I love to pick on millennials. If you're a millennial, I love you. You got to just take it, though, because I'm going to give it out a little bit. Everybody likes to pick on millennials. They were born between 1981 and the year 2000. Millennials are special. If you doubt that, just ask them and they'll tell you. So because millennials are special, we can't just do a normal rundown for millennials. They got to have something different, right? So I have a video. This video was probably more popular two or three years ago. Some of you may have seen it. But it's a song that will tell you a lot about the millennial generation. Let's watch it together. Ding, ticka, ding, ticka, ding, 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 ding. There he sits inside your local coffee shop Sporting a man bun and facial hair Somehow he believes although he has no job That by his thirties he will be a millionaire M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A Participating. M I L L E N M I A. Oh, God, 
irony of that is that guy is a worship leader in a fairly large church in the deep south, and he's also a millennial. So anyway, uh, I want to say this, though. I think, and we pick on millennials a lot, like I said, but I think there's two groups of millennials. I think there's a normal average millennial that everybody talks about, but I think there's another group that's emerging out of that group that I'm really proud of ones that want to work hard they want to have a family they want to make their family work they want to get married they want to have a job they want to be part of church and they're stepping up and they're almost a different stream within that stream of millennials and it's tough for them because they're surrounded by a culture in their age group that's very different than how they are but i think we have some of those in our church i think we have folks who are saying you know what we're rejecting some of the stuff our generation is doing Maybe we're even going back to values from generations past and bringing them into our lives because we see this stuff isn't working. And so I'm very proud of them. We pick on them a lot. And uh, I heard that they don't know that there's any time before 10 a.m., that nothing exists, you know, before 10 a.m. But anyway, we're very proud of them. The word I think that would I would give to that, uh, that generation is follow Jesus, not the crowd. Follow Jesus, not the crowd. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so the thing in which you are slant so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Millennials, would you stand up so we can give you a round of applause? You've been good sports this morning, if you're part of that group. Praise God for you guys. Lead your generation in a different direction. Last but not least, Generation Z. These are those born after the year 2001. These kids have never known a world without cell phones and internet. I remember the first cell phone, my mom and dad got me a cell phone when I first started going to college just so if I had car trouble or anything, I could call somebody. And that thing was a bag phone. I don't know if y'all remember the bag phones, but it was like you were carrying around a nuclear device or something. That thing was huge. They've never known anything without that. They've never known a pre-9-11, September 11 America. That's always been part of their lives, part of the background. The first president they remember was biracial. They are the most connected, educated, and sophisticated generation ever. They are social media gurus. They have forgotten more about it than you know or that you will learn. They don't want to be part of a culture. They want to create it, and they already are. It's amazing how many 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds are already millionaires from doing things online, from investing, from starting their own companies. It's amazing. My two-year-old gets my phone. We pull up her video app, which is safe for kids, and she'll watch a video. If, she, if an ad comes up, she'll click off of it. If she doesn't like the video, she'll swipe, and she'll get another one on there. She'll keep going until she gets what she wants. She's two years old, and she knows how to do all this. They are going to be an amazing, amazing generation. When I grew up, if I had a question, I had to find an adult who knew the answer, or I had to just wonder for a long time. Now, if they have a question, they type it in, there's the answer, boom, and they go on. They're so educated, they are so informed in a way that we never had a chance to be. And Generation Z is going to lead America and the church into the future. 
But the problem is they are going to live in a world that is largely against Christ and the church. They're going to live in a culture that is largely against Christ and the church. Now, if they are willing to be very watered-down, wishy-washy Christians, most people will not have a problem with them. But if they're going to stand on the truth of God's Word, if they're going to be bold and outspoken about it, many of our kids are going to have to live as outcasts in different places. They're not going to always be accepted because the world is not accepting the truth of Jesus Christ the way it used to and the truth of what God's Word says. And so they're going to be a very, very important generation, but they're going to also have to be a very strong generation. If you're part of Generation Z, if you were born after 2001 or thereafter, would you please stand? Let's give them a round of applause. You guys are the future. You're the future. The word that I believe they need to hear is that they need to shine like stars. We can see stars when you look up at a night sky. You can see stars, yes, because they glow, but also because they're contrasted with everything around them. The universe is dark, but the stars shine and they contrast. They are different than the things that surround them. Our Christian young people are going to have to be different. They're going to have to stand out. They're going to have to shine like stars in a dark world. And we better be wise enough, those of us who still have some say in their lives, we better be wise enough to disciple them, and we better be wise enough to raise them in such a way that they learn how to stand against the currents that are going to come against them, against the storms that are going to come against them. Don't raise them as if everybody's still on their side. Don't disciple them as if everybody's always going to like the stands they take. Raise them to be strong and raise them to be warriors for Jesus Christ. We're going to have to do that. Get with it. Wake up on that. I'm not going to raise my kids like everybody else raises their kids because the world is going to hell and I want my kids to go in a different direction. That's a different sermon for a different Sunday. Generation Z Christians are going to have to stand out. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Purity is going to be so key in their generation. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then Paul says, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Young folks, if you grow up and you live for Christ and you live in purity and you shine like stars, when I'm an old man, if the Lord leaves me here that long, I'll be able to say, you know what, I didn't do what I did in vain. I preached, I taught, I worked with you guys, not in vain, because you grew up to be something better than the world around you, something that Christ would have you to be. And so, like Paul said, I don't want to think that I labored in vain. Your parents don't want to think that they labored in vain. Your, your teachers, your youth leaders don't want to think that they labored in vain. Shine like stars. Let's go back to our original scripture. We need to close up. God gets glory in his church best when all generations work together as one. Let me say that again. God gets glory in his church the very best when all generations work together as one. Psalm chapter 145, 145 verses 3 through 4 says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another. 
and shall declare your mighty acts. We started this series rooted by talking about fig trees and how fig trees grow roots deep and strong, and that's how they can withstand the storm. There's another tree that's kind of interesting when it comes to its root system, and that's the olive tree. I've been told that the olive tree does not grow deep roots. They don't go very deep down into the ground oftentimes. But if you go to an olive grove, if you go to a place where there's a lot of olive trees, what they actually do for stability is their roots grow out sideways until they reach the roots of another olive tree. And those olive tree roots actually intermesh, they actually intertwine, and all of a sudden, instead of one tree standing by itself, you have trees that are actually supporting each other with their root systems. That's a beautiful vision of what God wants in his church. He wants one generation to proclaim his mighty works to the next generation. He wants one generation to support the next generation. Far too often we've had generations at odds, generations fighting over power and control and things like that, and I believe it breaks God's heart. He wants the generations to come together and to be a family and to work on God's behalf, work to shine like stars in this world. Older generations, the younger generations need you. They need you more than they ever have before. Oh, and older generations, let me tell you something, you need the young folks too. We need each other. It's built, it's designed that way. God wants one generation to support the next generation. And so here's how we're going to end our time together today. I'd like to ask that everybody would stand, and I don't want to put a hardship on anybody today, but I'm going to ask if you're sitting in the outward two sections, just for this last song, would you try to find a way to move in and everybody get in these two sections? Because I want us all together. I want us all close to each other. Hopefully you'll end up standing near somebody who's not part of your generation. That's how it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be segregated. We're not supposed to be separated. We're supposed to be together. When this is over, you can return to your seats. You can get your stuff. But I just wanted us to be together as one and just visually, if nothing else, see that we have to be unified. God has great promises to his people. God has great promises for those who love him. And God's word tells us that all his promises are yes and amen. In other words, all his promises will come true. If we get ourselves out of the way and just let God work, his promises will be found true in our lives. And God will be glorified from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, until Jesus Christ returns and we are all truly together as one. This is a new song for you this morning, but I want you to sing it out. The words aren't tough, and hey, they'll be on the screen, so that'll help you out as well. Let's sing this together, and let's sing as one. Concentrate on unity this morning. Concentrating on, on being one people before God. Let's sing together.
God some praise this morning, church. out of the way so that your spirit can move, God. Work through us, work with us, God. 